develop your plan of what you want. What do you want to get out of short-term rentals? How does this fit into your long-term plan of retirement? It's not just for middle-aged guys like myself. I have a 24-year-old in my mastermind that was at my retreat that's going to retire by the time she's 30. And she's got a documented plan of where she's going to go. If you don't have a plan, how do you know what to invest in? Should you be starting with co-hosting? Should you be buying a $300,000 property? Should you be spending a million? How much cash do you have? What's your net worth? How secure is your job? I talk about this a lot. We all have the opportunity to architect our life. Do that before you go invest into a short-term rental. Everybody want to get the bag, but y'all really know what it's going to take. Trying to figure out how to start now. Blue chills, about to show you the way. Because we talk finance and amortizing and anything it takes to get real estate. We've been grinding all day, finding ways to get paid. Better hop on this wave because we're dropping blue gems. JB dropping blue gems. AG dropping blue gems. New podcast, baby, tune in. We in this thing dropping blue gems. Let's go. Another episode of Blue Gems Podcast with the famous Bill Faith. How are you, brother? I'm doing great. Awesome day. And uh, looking forward to this. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Really appreciate it. For the listeners, let's uh, let's just dig into your story a little bit. Tell us a little bit about yourself. God, that's always a hard one. Though. <laughs> I'm a washed up golfer that has had six businesses that have failed. Now I'm looking towards retirement. That's that's the humble version. I'm a, a serial entrepreneur. I've done 27 startups now, bootstrapped all of them. Not a big company guy. Like building stuff, wrapping my hands around it and taking something from point A to point B. At one time, I had 721 employees in one of my companies. Never wow. want to go back there. Have built a $50 million company in two thirty millions. It sounds sexy. It sounds great, but it's almost life-breaking to do something like that, in my opinion, unless it's a tech company. All three of those were kind of brick and mortar. Actually, something that I'm, I kind of wear on my sleeve is I was drop shipping Brazilian bikinis in 1994 <laughs> via AOL chat rooms. Wow. Before cool. it became sexy about five years ago. But outside That's of that, I'm married. I live in, in the Bible, the Buckle Belt in Nashville, and I'm an STR guy. I've built a portfolio. I co-host and uh, and I coach. Amazing. Amazing. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about your portfolio? So what what's that looking like right now? I I build mine in clusters. And that was learned from... I, I started... I shouldn't say I started. A gentleman named Reg Booth, who was the third franchisee in the pizza in 1968. Him and I came together many years ago, 2002, and built a business called Glow Golf. It started as a glow-in-the-dark driving range application way before Top Golf, And then we took it indoors and did glow-in-the-dark miniature golf and built that industry and the franchise. He had 278 pizza huts. And one of the things that was really interesting about the way that he built those out, he would have no less than three in one district. And what I mean by that is to where a district manager could drive to all three. So typically 25 to 35 or 40 miles. And what it did is it eliminated the need and the cost for a GM at each one of those locations. Mm. So they were able to pay their district manager about 20 to 30% more, but also save close to 40 to 45% on labor. Didn't mean a whole lot when they had three locations, but man, did that dynamically change when they got to 50 
100, 200, 278 locations across the country. Oh, wow. So it's interesting. I implemented what I called the pod system when I built a $10 million marketing agency here in Nashville. And I've done the exact same thing. Uh, followed that same mantra for scales of economy. And I started that in Gulf Shores, Alabama, which was the first market that I really started implementing. I mean, now between owned and co-hosted, I have nine properties in Gulf Shores bringing on uh, another co-hosting one literally this upcoming weekend uh, after the recording. And then another one in January. I've done the same thing in North Carolina, where I've gone into the, the Western North Carolina mountains, Banner Elk, Beach Mountain. The other thing that I do is I don't buy, a lot of people think I just, you know, have these multi-million dollar properties, and that's not the case. A perfect example is North Carolina. I bought a $1.6 million, two and a half acre, massive property, the biggest one I've ever done in short-term rentals, sleeps 16, 18 people, six bedrooms, six baths with a two full ensuite bedroom, kitchen, guest house, all the Gatlinburg stuff, massive game room and everything. But then I went and I bought a small A-frame about 15 minutes away up by the ski resort. So one of the things that I've learned as we built, and then now I co-host two properties and taking on another one there. So I'm, I'm building building out in this pod system. One of the things that I've learned is I buy I buy or build big cash flowing properties so that way it can support my smaller properties because the smaller properties are what me and my wife have found out as we built out our life plan. We're going to retire in four to five years. Those are the ones as we travel, we want to stay in. We're not that we thought we were going to be the big <laughs> property people, but we're not. We want the small cozy. So we're the small A-frame in, in the mountains. We're the small beach house that's beachfront versus our big one that's done over $350,000 a year in revenue. So it's really important is that we have a plan. When I first started, didn't have a plan. My partner bought a place in Estes Park, Colorado, and we let our employees stay there for a year. Then I started short-term renting it. Now it's almost impossible to get into Estes Park, Colorado, but we still have that same property. Then we bought a condo in, in Dustin, and we didn't know. My first real purchase by myself on my own uh, was in Gulf Shores, Alabama. And you know, we don't know what we don't know. So that's why I'm a big proponent of, of self-education. Love it. So of your portfolio, how many do you own and then how many do you manage for others? Interesting. My portfolio that I own has shrunk. The reason that it shrunk, not because of the economy, I haven't sold anything recently, actually, but because I set very specific life goals financially and personally based on life events. Once my wife and I defined what retirement is, what happened is, is I'll never say I was making too much money, but I had hit the numbers that I wanted to hit. And then when I added the big property earlier this year of Banner Elk, and then I went into Beach Mountain, I was at 13 properties that I owned and had about 15 and a half million dollars in assets. The cash flow was the big thing for me. My goal was to hit $800,000 a year in cash flow. I did that. So I started reducing my properties. I sold off some smaller ones and took profit. So right now I own 11 properties and I am co-hosting 13 properties. So the critical component for me is not the number of units. It's not the number of properties. I'm a huge believer. It takes the same amount of time for me to manage a two-bedroom property as it does a six-bedroom. And that two-bedroom may do an ADR of 200 or 250 a night, where the six-bedroom beachfront you know, might be doing 1,100 ADR over the course of a, of a year, right? So I've really tried, and I've always been this way. You know, there's six different types of buyers. I'm a value-based buyer. I'm a value-based investor. So I want to also maximize my time and not just chase money. And that's what I see a little bit problematic in our industry, especially during the gold rush of COVID in the short-term rental space, where there's a lot of people that have been chasing 
chasing money. And that could be pretty challenging for them in, in the next year or so. And then in your eyes, what is a co-host? Because we hear that term a lot. And so what does your responsibilities entail You know, as you're bringing on properties to quote unquote co-host? I'm a marketing and I just got off a call before this with a, a client that has two properties I'm most likely going to take on in Vermont, which is a whole new area for me. Number one, I believe that properties, I told him this, this exact same thing, property managers versus co-host. Property managers, they own the listings, they're collecting the cash, they're sending out owner statements. And by definition, old school property managers are there to manage your property. Most of them are not marketers. They're not revenue optimization specialists. They're not SEOs, so they don't SEO your listing. When they charge you the $500 a year marketing fee, that goes to market their brand, not your property, because they don't understand how to truly do direct response marketing. Take all the antithesis of all of those things, and that's, in my opinion, what a co-host is, at least what I do. I become the expert in the market. I keep my portfolio small because, look, Evolve and Vikasa will never be able to do what I can do, simply because they have hundreds and thousands of properties and I've got less than 20. So I can do economies of scale. I can really customize welcome gifts. I can do the s'mores kits. I can do the, the hot cocoa bars during, during Christmas season and the coffee bars with 16 different types of ground coffee and beans. And, you know, they would fucking freak <laughs> out if one of their owners said, hey, we're going to do, I'm Bill Payton, I want to do this coffee bar. They're like, fuck you, we're going someplace else. That's what gives me and you, whoever's watching this, if you self-host, the advantage. So here's what I believe. I'll break it down. The way that I do it is the owner owns everything. They own the listings. They own their photos. They own their customer. That's a big one for me, right? So I charge a $2.99 a month retainer, probably the first person to ever charge a retainer. And everybody that co-hosts or manages says, what the fuck is that retainer for? The retainer is, is so you own your customer and I do not. And the reason I did that, I, was, I would have been more than happy to pay $2.99 a month when I got in bed with my very first property and hired a property manager company and they booked shitty bookings that were about 50% below what I could do. And then they said, oh, well, we're, we're those are our customers. So we're taking those back when I took over my listing, right? So when a client exits and I have one exiting, uh, he's in my mastermind. He started as a co-host client. He joined my mastermind. He's taking over a lodge here in Nashville. He's learned how to do it on his own. I'm excited for him to do it. We have a clean break on Sunday. Here's my templates. Here's my systems. Here's everything. I wish you the best of luck because that's really my mission is for property management companies to cease to exist because they're blood-sucking leeches, as Mr. Wonderful would call them, and the owner doesn't make any money. I provide hospitality. I provide messaging. I take care of the property. I take care of the cleaning. I take care of the maintenance. I take care of everything. But most importantly, I'm price optimizing. I'm marketing off-platform. I'm using Facebook ads, email, social media as my three core elements from a marketing standpoint. And my job is to make them more money because if I don't, then I can't continue to raise my rates. I started at 15%, what the 18%, I'm now at 20% plus a $2.99 a month retainer. And I've never had anybody fire me because of the fact that I haven't made them any more money. The one thing that aligns with the owner is I'm an owner. I've not taken on clients because I didn't think that I could make them more money. And if I can't on top of what they're paying me, then it doesn't make sense. It's got to be a win-win for both. And if most owners or people that are running prop, uh, property management companies sat down, they might give you that same statement. But the question is, is do you truly believe them? Right. So I think putting the owner first because I was in their shoes and that's why I started co-hosting because I just had this disdain for property management companies. And I never 
never really thought about doing it until Clubhouse, to be honest with you. And I saw, I learned about it actually through Showgrin and, you know, these other guys on Clubhouse. And I'm like, well, shit, that's something I might want to get into. Even though I've made a lot of money in short-term rentals and real estate, it's still nice to do something that costs you zero to start up. And that's where I think everybody should start, to be honest with you, before they buy, before they even consider arbitrage, you know, any of the other, you know, forms of STR that we can break into. So I think full transparency, not escrowing dollars and really putting the customer first is the biggest difference in my opinion. Love it. Man, love that answer. Best one we've had so far. (laughs) So let's talk about marketing. You said that you market a lot off-platform, not regarding these OTAs, right? So Facebook market, social media. Let's talk about the logistics behind that. So like, let's say, hypothetically speaking, I'm a listener and I want to start marketing my property. What are the necessary steps to get started? Number one, don't hire somebody. That's the kiss of death. So especially if, if you live in Orlando, Florida, and you have a place in Gatlinburg for, or, you know, let's actually, let's, let's just use Snowshoe, West Virginia. And you want to go up there to go, everybody from Florida wants to go to the mountains. Everybody from the mountains wants to go down to Florida, right? If you own a place in Snowshoe, who the fuck is going to create your content? If you, if you hire an agency in Orlando or you hire me in Nashville, I don't do it. But if you have a everybody says, well, who, what marketing agency should I hire? They can't create that content. You need to have your ass in that property, shooting videos, doing selfies, taking photos because your cleaners aren't going to get you good enough imagery or content to be able to do it. A local agency is going to send out a, you know, $12,000, $15,000 intern that's spending the semester with them to get that stuff that knows nothing about our business. They don't know your value proposition. They don't know the difference between what's what's more valuable. Is it your hot tub or your sauna? You know, well, I would argue that a sauna is just as valuable as a hot tub in a ski market this time of year, but it's not during summer. They don't know that shit. <laughs> so that's the problem. I believe that we have to learn how to self-market ourselves. One year ago today, a very dear friend of mine and a client passed away. His name was Ken Carter, and he owned a limousine company in Indianapolis. My best student I've ever had. We were sitting on the Ritz-Carlton in South Beach and on a balcony for about a four-hour conversation, probably five, six years ago at a conference. And he looked me straight in the eye, and he's like, this marketing and sales shit's hard. And he's like, I didn't sign up when I became an electrician and started my electrical company. And then when I got in the limousine business, I didn't know I had to be a marketer and a salesperson. That mindset shift for somebody to go from being a technician, like in the E-Myth, if everybody, if you haven't read the E-Myth, you need to read it by Michael Gerber and transition into the two most important things. You can have the greatest fucking product or service in the world, but if the world doesn't know about it or know how great it is from marketing and sales, your product's shit. It's not going to sell. That's the biggest thing that I was taught at a young age by my mother when I was selling t-shirts out of the back of her Ford Tempo is I don't care how great these t-shirts are, you have to be able to market and sell them. And that's what I learned how to do. And now we can't ET syndrome it and over promise and over under deliver, but there's too many people that are in our industry right now that are just going to rely on the OTAs, Airbnb and VRBO to send them traffic, to send them bookings. Those are the ones that are going to get crushed in my opinion. So there's really three core elements that I use in marketing. I eliminate stuff that is a waste of my time that does not drive results. Number one thing is build your email list. Get StayFi, put that into every one of your properties instead of using Google Home or or Orbi routers or any of that. Start collecting emails and collect them from the guests as well as the booker. So if you're using a PMS or whatever, we only get them from the booker, right? So one of the big things, and this is where I make my money is because I will do the hard work and do spend three times 
more building out custom sales pages and segmenting, segmenting my buyer, segmenting the people that I'm going to market to. I have a list that has all my past guests. That's list email list number one. Email list number two, and let me rephrase that, all my past bookers, right? That's email list number one. Then I have a list because I take and segment out all the non-bookers when I have properties that sleep 16, 18, 10, 12. So think about all those guests that are logging into my stay fine. I mean, that's why I've got like 9,000 you know, people on my email list. So those are leads. The person that booked, that pulled out that credit card and paid Airbnb, paid me direct booking, paid VRBO, that's a customer. The relationship is different. That's called a, a hot lead, a hot customer. The person that stayed at the property is warm. They've enjoyed my, my properties are amazing. They've enjoyed it. Hopefully they had a great time and hopefully they would want to come back. They're a lead. Now, a lot of people will go to the negative mindset and say, well, a lot of those are children and that type of stuff. That's correct. They're going to use mom or dad's email to log in. That's okay. My teenagers have their own email. They'll log in. They'll use mine or my or my wife's email. They've been taught on how to address that, right? So the big thing here is the difference in the segmentation. If we just send the same message to our entire email list, or we send a Facebook ad to everybody out in the United States or around the world, it's not going to convert. And it's definitely not going to convert if you send it to your PMS free sales page or to your $1,000 Wix direct booking site that you paid somebody to build that doesn't know shit about conversion rate optimization or our industry. So I'm a huge proponent of two things. One, people need to self-manage. Two, they need to learn how to fucking market because if you don't, you're going to get blown away because literally we're at like one-tenth of the traffic uh, of we were of what we were doing in June and July of last year in major vacation rental markets. Now, if you're in an urban area like downtown Orlando, and for those of you that don't know, that's not Disney. That's actually downtown, right? Or downtown Nashville or Austin. That's a little bit different because you've got built-in traffic drivers, but there's a huge issue that we're dealing with. Lack of search, lack of travel, but also saturation is real because supply is so much higher than what demand is. Supply was okay during the summer when demand was high, but now that demand is coming down, supply is overtaking. And that's becoming very problematic for all of us and why there's this huge... You talked about buzz uh, words and stuff like off-platform marketing, direct marketing. Well, I think midterm stays is another one as well that a lot of people, regardless of the market that you're in, need to be exploring right now. So the marketing, sorry for such long-winded answers. I do Facebook ads. That's my number one. Number two is email marketing. Number three is organic social media. And that's a broad stroking term. I do not post every day to my Instagram. I don't post every day to my property's Facebook. Actually, I never post to my property's Facebook pages because I'm not there to get enough great content. We go in spurts. When and me and my wife travel to our properties a lot, when we go on vacation, it's usually to our properties. So I had a mastermind retreat in North Carolina last week. I got content while I was there. I took Chris, my videographer, my COO. We're creating reels content. We're creating video content. He's taking drone footage because they were making man-made snow right next to our ski and ski out. A lot of that stuff. And then we'll kind of try to, you know, extend the life of that instead of doing it every day to where we can say, okay, well, we need, we're probably not going to be back there for the next 30 to 45 days. So then we'll plan the scheduling for social media to go out. One 
one of the things that I don't do is I don't post every day on any property. And if I did, I would be using a scheduling app and I would be posting it into the app and have it deploy automatically. So that way I can do it once a week. And that's one of the things that I look at. A lot of people fall into the the trap of thinking, oh my gosh, I got to post this organically every day at 10 a.m. and every day at 10 p.m. Because those are the two highest traffic times on Instagram. And then they forget about it and they get stuck with life and business and work and all the other shit and they don't do it. Well, we need to schedule that on Sunday night. I promise you, Sunday night, there's nothing on freaking, well, after Yellowstone uh, or after the King of Tulsa or the football game, whatever you guys watch or during it, that's when you want to schedule your social. You got to figure out what works. You got to test. Just like right now, we're recording this two days after the Airbnb update. All of us should be testing uh, right now. And the big thing I'm testing is cleaning fees. You know, it's just, it's, it's test, it's iterate, it's test, it's iterate. We are thrilled to announce Blue Gems Management. After building out 24 short-term rental properties of our own, we're now helping other investors buy their time back. With over 300 five-star reviews, we really understand the importance of guest experience. If you're interested in making short-term rentals passive, click the link in the show notes below and someone from our team will contact you soon. Now back to the show. So you brought up direct bookings, right? What is your current split? Because I think a lot of people are going to hear about direct bookings and just say, hey, it's not worth the effort. I'm getting so much traction on Airbnb, VRBO, the other OTAs. So where are you seeing the percentage of your bookings lie between Airbnb, VRBO, and then direct booking and other OTAs? Probably through the end of July, let's say August 1st, I was about 40%. Right now, I'm running about 21% just because my portfolio is not traveling as much as, as what they did. But that 40% is because of all that off-platform marketing that I do. And I do not use a website. I do not. I, I love owner res. I'm an owner res guy. I also use hospitable on top of owner res, but I don't use their direct booking site. I build sales pages. I use a platform called lead pages. Been using it since 2014. It's fast. It's easy. Any of you listening or watching can do it uh, because it requires no coding. So like I have a sales page for every property. I do have a page that has all the properties on it, but I never ever send traffic to them. That's like, literally, I use this analogy all the time. An 18-year-old girl from Ogallala, Nebraska. That's a real town, by the way. I had a recruited a, a cleat when I was a college golf coach. I recruit, recruited a kid. They, Mike Plate from Ogallala, Nebraska. His dad was the only dentist in town. I think there was like 287 population, no stoplights. His sister, I'd use her as the analogy. Imagine that she graduated from high school and she's going to NYU, right in the heart of New York City. And her dad says, hey, honey, good luck. Here's your airline ticket to fly into LaGuardia. When you get there, go to Enterprise, rent a car, rent a car, and have fun. Can you imagine the stress and the anxiety of when she gets off that plane in LaGuardia, terminal number four? She can't find the, the rental car. She finally does. She's stressed. She's driving through the parking lot. And holy shit, she's on the freeway. George Washington Bridge going into Manhattan. She doesn't know where she's going. Everybody's honking at her. You know, she's never experienced anything like that. Her blood pressure's like this. Her stress is as high as it gets. That's what happens when somebody's searching for your fucking property and you send them to a direct booking website and you have five properties. Or in my case, I have all my owned properties and all my co-hosted properties. And they're like, I was just looking for that little three, two beachfront property in Fort Morgan, Alabama. And I see the ski stuff and I see the lake properties and I see Montana and all this stuff. Now they don't know what to do. So we've given them paralysis by analysis or options. You don't want to give anybody an option except for to click and buy from you to book or to hit 
that exit button to leave and go to another site. Now, when they scroll up and they go up to that top left corner, you should have what's called an exit pop to recapture them before they leave. Those are the two biggest tactics of how I can increase my conversion rate. So on that sales page, there's no menu. There's no home button. There's no site map down at the bottom. There's no links to any other fucking pages. They book or they go to leave. And then you say, hey, Adrian, don't leave. Let me give you something. Let me give you a, a free night stay at 50% off if you book today. Let me give you a 10% discount, whatever that is. That's what increases conversion. That's what's called conversion rate optimization. Two best guys in the industry, myself and Mark Simpson from Boostly. If you follow what we're doing off-platform marketing and advertising, you need to get a master's degree in this specifically for what we're embarking on and really living right now. The other thing is track your booking lead time because a lot of people are freaked out even in like snow and ski, bail, beach mountain, over, snowshoe. I mean, bookings are coming in late right now. That means we have to adjust our marketing accordingly. You know, when when I used to be 78 days lead time at my beach properties, my portfolio now is down to 19 days. That is a huge drop. Awesome. And I'm seeing bookings coming in for skiers right now, like less than six to seven days, which is insane to me. So let's say that I decide to, you know, take this on and I start direct booking from a legal standpoint, what type of you know insurance do I need to incorporate? Do I need to have the guests sign a lease or anything like that? How does that work? Yeah, I will say I'm going to take a line from Jeff Hampton from strlawguys.com, who's in my my super team. He says, I'm an attorney, but I'm not your attorney. So I'm not an attorney. <laughs> and I did not sleep at a holiday in last night. Um, what I will tell you is I think you need to have an ironclad direct booking, con- not even a direct, you should have an ironclad contract that goes out to everybody. I used to be the guy that didn't use a contract just because I didn't want that friction with the guest. And I've never had any major issues, major damage, major parties, anything like that, any of my properties. I think that's a byproduct of location and also price point. But if you're doing direct bookings, 100% you need a direct booking contract. If you're afraid to do it on Airbnb and Verbo, don't be. You should have it there as well. Insurance, uh, I use the owner res insurance. You know, I do 1500 bucks. It costs 30, 35 bucks if I'm booking direct. So that that way I'm I'm pretty confident in air cover right now. So I don't do any additional insurance on Airbnb and Verbo. I have never ever, I hear a lot of bitching on our social media platforms, right? <laughs> About, oh my God, Airbnb screwed me. They wouldn't pay for my sheets or whatever it is. That's because you don't follow their process. Exactly. And you probably didn't have your documentation down correctly. You didn't communicate with them in a, in a timely manner, whatever it is. Because nobody ever shares those details when they bitch, right? right? So I've never had a claim turned down ever. And and that's not because I'm Bill Faith, the build short-term rental wealth guy. The, you, believe me, there are people over in the Philippines have no clue and they don't get it. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, just make sure you have your images, you have the dates, you have the timestamps, you have the receipts. If you, you know, go buy the new one, give, give them a receipt from Amazon, whatever it is, have all that paperwork ready to go and then send it to them. But one thing that's really cool about that right now, and I don't want to get too far off topic, is you can wait till the 14th day now. You don't have to do it in day one and screw up your reviews before a guest, you know, does a review. So I'm, I've had to deal with air cover maybe twice since they updated it and i've had no issue you know dealing with them at all so I also believe we should all have liability insurance. And that's something that's not talked about a lot. So hopefully everybody's buying their their properties and LLCs, and that's kind of your bottom row of your organizational chart. Then you should have an umbrella, you know, above every one of your properties. And what people don't understand is that if you have stand-up paddle boards, 
kayaks, solo stove fire pit, bikes, pool, hot tub, spa, any of that type of stuff. You know, even just snowy stairs right now. That's liability for us as homeowners. That's why proper is such a bitch to deal with. And, you know, they're about double or triple the cost of getting a, a BS state farm or farmers, you know, residential with an SDR rider on it from a coverage and an exclusion standpoint. I believe there's a lot of education that needs to be done on the insurance side. I'm a proper guy. I don't like paying double or triple, but you know what? I don't want the risk of, you know, my house burning down in, in Gatlinburg and being underinsured or having a bad policy or losing a house in, you know, the Gulf to a hurricane. So that's a that's a, a whole nother topic for another day. But I think you need to be properly insured, no pun intended. Then you need to have a liability policy. And your liability policy, in my opinion, should be at least one and a half times to two times your total net worth. Because at some point, if you have, well, I shouldn't even say at some point, if you have a catastrophic occurrence happen on one of your properties or leaving one of your properties, and the higher your net worth gets, the bigger the target you become. I would highly recommend following STR Law Guys and Jeff Hampton because he's the best. He's doing so much education in this space for free as just an, an incredible giver from an attorney. And those are hard to find because he doesn't want people to get into uh, this position. So for me, it's every property on the lower levels and an LLC. Unfortunately, sometimes they get commingled. It should be one property, one LLC, but I've done 1031s and split funds. That means both those properties have to stay inside the same entity. That kind of sucks. That's why I got to have the umbrella above it and then a whole nother structure into a, a revocable trust and an Arizona LP that we can talk about later. Uh, but those two things I think are critically important, specifically if you're going to direct a book. The other thing really I think that people don't think about are signs. Signs with your, your, your pool, rules, no lifeguard on duty, you know, not responsible, uh, lakes as well. You better have those on your dock walking down on a tree or on the stairs or whatever. Like even at my Banner Elk property proper made me because I've got excuse me, my beach mountain property, I've got 52 stairs from the parking area up to my, my A-frame. And they made me put signs at the bottom, you know, slippery when wet and snowy, you know, not responsible for falls, I think is what it says and that type of stuff. So that signage can be a huge mitigator for accidents. But, you know, as an example, we're, we're into the winter season. You go back to that contract that you're talking about for direct bookings. Do you have a fireplace policy? Do you have a fire pit policy? Do you have a steps policy? No, people don't think about that shit. I didn't think about that stuff until I met Jeff Hampton. Because if you don't tell them, we had a, a Brad and Richard Arkell uh, in my mastermind group last spring, I guess. They're in Wisconsin. They, they have massive properties that sleep like 40 to 80. Huge groups and reunions they're doing. And, and they had a guy that burned through the firebox, interior fireplace, burned through the firebox and through the drywall into another room. He was had the fire going for like 11 or 12 hours and never turned it off. And it was like $45,000 worth of damage. They did not have a fireplace policy. And I'll bet 99.9% .9 of the listeners, myself included, until I met Jeff Hampton, did not have a fireplace policy. Definitely a lot to think about. And I'm thinking about my own portfolio and what, I, what changes I need to make. <laughs> it's like a fucking fire hose, man. I mean, look, the, the beauty of this, and thank you for having me, is that we get to chat about stuff that we don't know. Exactly. Right. Or that we do know and somebody else may not know. I, I say this. I mean, I've got 88 people in a mastermind group. I make a lot of money off my mastermind. But you know what the best thing is? You get to learn just like they do. Surrounding yourself with like-minded people. And that's what I love about podcasts and what you guys are doing and, and what we're all doing trying to, to educate because somebody's going to learn something. New. I listen to about three or four podcasts a day inside our industry, outside of our industry. And you can see my books behind me. That's just, you know, I've got a whole thing right over here. I just, I never read growing up. 
but as an adult, I've learned to, to read. And I, I'm not a book on tape or, you know, audio book guy. I am, a, let's read, let's bunny ear, you know, the pages, let's circle stuff, let's take notes. So that's kind of the biggest thing that I would wish for everybody that's watching this is, you know, make sure you follow these guys, follow me, follow Mike, follow Avery, whoever it is, but just continue to learn and consume. It's already been a masterclass for our, you know, newer listeners, newer investors, but if you had to give them one piece of advice if they're just starting out, what would it be? I think really develop your plan of what you want. What do you want to get out of short-term rentals? How does this fit into your long-term plan of retirement? And look, I'm almost 50. It's not just for middle-aged guys like myself. I have a 24-year-old girl in my mastermind that was at my retreat that's going to retire by the time she's 30. And she's got a documented plan of where she's going to go. If you don't have a plan, how do you know what to invest in? I mean... Should you be starting with co-hosting? Should you be buying a $300,000 property? Should you be spending a million? How much cash do you have? What's your net worth? How secure is your job? You and your spouse, are you in 100% alignment? There's a lot of things that happen about coming together and understanding what life events are coming forward, planning for them financially, planning for them physically and emotionally. And kind of architects, like I talk about this a lot, is we all have the opportunity to architect our life. Do that before, especially right now, do that before you go invest into a short term rental. Love it. And then what does a day in the life look like for Bill Faith? Uh, my fat ass got up at 3.42 this morning and my gym is right there. Um, it hasn't <laughs> been used it. since COVID. I'm in the process of dropping. The goal is got to have a goal for everything. We got to be able to measure it, right? So I was 298 pounds three weeks ago. And I went to Facebook and just said, hey, this is my public proclamation that I'm going to lose 50 pounds before I host my short-term rental conference in March. And so I don't know what the fuck happened. Happen, but I've got like 90 people in the Faith Fitness Accountability Facebook group. So I can't stop. So the day in the life means I get up, I'm fasting. I did 4.2 miles on my treadmill this morning. Amazing, man. Um, awesome. I've done goal. And then I probably spend the majority of my time on calls. I think I have 11 today and none of them are paid because I want to give back to this industry. I see people making a lot of bad decisions when they get in because they follow what people say on social media. And that's usually not the best advice when people are getting making huge investments. I mean, I look at, I've done 27 startups. When I bought my first beach house, that was the most in money I'd ever, the most cash I'd ever invested to start up a business. It was $127,000 to buy like a $629,000 beach house. Everyone in my businesses previously, it was like 10, 20, 30 grand to start the business. And then we would just grow out of cash flow with no cash injection, no investment. I want everybody out there that's, it doesn't matter if you're buying property number one or property number 12, you have to treat this like a business. You need to be running P&Ls. You need to understand the finances, the insurance, the taxes. Uh, because if you don't, then it can get really, really challenging. This is just like owning a coffee shop or a pizzeria or a hotel or a ground transportation company or a plumbing business, anything. Businesses that really have an intent that were the owners, the CEOs have an intimate relationship with their financial strive. The ones that don't, that just run out of their checkbooks, those are the ones that typically struggle. And if you could leave one last gem with the listeners, it could be about life, it could be about money, it could be about short-term rentals, it could be about anything. What would you want to leave them? Don't wait until you're 42 to figure out your life. Be my girl, Courtney, who's 24 and has it all figured out. It's going to change. There's no question. Her outcome that she has documented and we worked on last week in North Carolina will change 10 times between the time she's 24 and the time, you know, she hits that nice casket 
six feet under. And hopefully that's not until she's like 90 or 100. I think people are afraid to think about death. I think people are afraid to think about retirement. I think people have these delusions of grandeur that retirement means that you're leaving the factory job and you're going home and, you know, sitting on the couch like Al Bundy or, you know, Homer Simpson and drinking beer every day with your hand down your pants. Retirement to me means that I'm financially stable, my girls are financially stable, that it's very specific, it has timelines to it. Because if I have those things, I know what it's going to cost me to send them to college, roughly. I know what a wedding is going to cost me. I know how much I know what my wife and I have defined what retirement means to us and what we want to do in retirement. And here's the one tip I'm going to give you financially free and travel the world. Those are dreams. They're not even goals. Determining that you need 5 million or 10 million. And if you need 2 million, then you better write down five. If you need need 5 million, you better write down 10 to retire and that you need X amount of cash flow and you're cool with X amount of debt. And how much is college and how many daughters and what are you going to do when they come back and live with you? So I look at, I've built out kind of going all the way back to the beginning, my portfolio and why it shrunk is because I've achieved my financial goals. I want more time with my kids. I want more soccer time. I want more. My wife and my wife hadn't played golf in 17 years. I haven't played in six. Last time my wife played golf before last night, literally she won the women's club championship in a playoff when she was eight months pregnant. Wow. And we can't, we haven't played golf for six years. So you can't join a country club anymore. They're like five year wait list now after COVID, right? So we joined this indoor club. And we knew that we wanted to have golf as a part of our retirement. And we knew that we wanted a place in Montana as our dream home. So this is really important as, as we're building out our portfolio and our future because they're tied together, right? STRs, investments, and also the future together. So a week from Monday, we're going to Whitefish, Montana. And then on Tuesday and Wednesday, we'll be in Scottsdale, Arizona. And we will put two properties under contract, one in Montana and one in Scottsdale come hell or high water because those are the last two elements. And it may not happen on this trip, but it'll happen now and this time because we are on the, the cusp. It's starting to happen already the best time uh, to invest into real estate and even into short-term rentals. And I guess to get very specific, Adrian, I'll just leave one more piece. Don't invest unless you have the cash to be able to do it. The carry costs. I see way too many people doing 3%, 5%, 10% down just because they don't have enough cash and they're forcing it. If you're doing your evaluation, AirDNA, STR Insights, whatever, and you have to force something, and here's the deal. If you have to tell yourself a story or tell somebody else a story about your investment, whether it's into crypto or stock market or you know real estate, it's a bad fucking deal. Walk away. There's no story. The financials, the performa tell everything. That's the story. Love it. And where can people find you? They can't. I hide. <laughs> I don't want anybody to find me. Um, I'm everywhere. I'm on TikTok, uh, Instagram, BillFaith73 on Instagram, BeFaith on TikTok. Probably the place I'm the most active is my Build Short-Term Rental Wealth Facebook group. I'm in that group every day. Actually, today we have every Tuesday at, at 2 p.m. Eastern, Ryan Bakey, Learn, at Learn Like a CPA and myself do Tax Tuesdays, answering all those questions. So I'm I'm pretty much everywhere on social and uh, mainly Instagram, TikTok, and then in my Facebook group. Beautiful. And hopefully they'll find me in Nashville in March at the SDR Wealth. Yes, Club. let's all attend. Yep. We went last year and it was by far the best Amazing. conference that we went to all of uh, last year. For sure. So no. I appreciate that. I'm I'm telling you, I don't know if you're profit first guy, but wait till you see my man Mike McCallowick's uh profit first. Uh, that two books that have changed my life, the E-Myths, I've read probably 25 times. And then Profit First. For your listeners, if you haven't read it, Profit First by Mike McCallowick's will be an absolute game changer for you. My man, Bill. Really appreciate it, brother. Thank you so much. Amazing, amazing Thank episode. You, Thanks for having me, guys. If you're interested in scaling your short-term rental portfolio 
and networking with like-minded individuals, we host a short-term rental meetup once a month in downtown Orlando. Click our link below in the show notes to register. See you at the next one. JB dropping blue gems. AG dropping blue gems. New podcast, baby, tune in. We in this thing dropping blue gems.